holacracy is an amazing concept because it's not it's not only about how we organize ourselves in this exactly what you said self-distributed leadership team where we are supporting people to take their own decisions but it's all it also comes with this mindset of full empowerment and autonomy holacracy is supporting it's is actually saying that we are a network of professionals that are working together for the same purpose as easy as that the beauty of holacracy moving forward is that it allows you to evolve and change and upgrade based on the chapter of the and of on the maturity level Hello, my name is Luke Eaton and welcome to Seeds Scaling So Far podcast. Uh, in this episode, uh, we have Roxana Debrescu, who is the Chief People Officer at Labster. Uh, Labster help, are helping to empower the next generation of scientists with virtual interactive laboratories. It democratizes STEM subjects for people of all kinds of backgrounds. Uh, it's a really cool company. Uh, we veered off into some pretty cool topics. Uh, we're going to talk about distributed decision making and holocratic environments, if you like that, um, and also the role of internal comms and employer branding at the earliest possible stage. If you are in an, an early stage business and you're interested in developing those types of things, then this one's definitely worth a listen. Uh, so, Roxana, uh, really, really pleased to be chatting with you today. Um, welcome to the podcast. Um, it's that time of the week again. I've got my nice shirt on, so you know it's the podcast. Um, so, thanks for joining us, and great to have you with us. Before we start getting stuck into the labsters sort of all the, the journey and all of that fun stuff, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, just to, to kick things off. Absolutely, Luke. And thank you so much for having me and for the uh, invite. Uh, I, I cannot wait for us to have fun chatting uh, over hopefully exciting stuff. Uh, well, to tell you a bit about me, like this is probably the most difficult question, question that you are going to ask me today, uh, because it's always difficult to, to speak about you, uh, about yourself. Let me see. Um, I would start by by telling who i am from a like human perspective like human being perspective and the most important part of of uh of my entire entity is the fact that i am a mom uh so i have two fantastic boys and two naughty dogs or the other way around like <laughs> so like four kids all together and i have a very supportive husband uh, that traveled with me and enabled me to have my career throughout like specifically the last years where uh we we moved quite quite a lot um from a professional perspective i am uh, i'm working in hr since uh, like for already already 20 years right now and i think interesting is the fact that for me at least it's the fact that like in all the six seven companies i worked with uh i always changed the industry so I never worked twice in the same industry, uh, and this is this is exciting because I had the opportunity to just get to know new um, business models and new niche um, areas where I I could just zoom in fully. Um, starting with April last year, I'm chief people officer for Lapser, and I'm having a blast leading the people uh, agenda. Uh, while you know just uh there is a saying that i'm using i'm using it a lot while building the plane 
while uh, flying the plane while building the plane, right? So we are in the air and we are already, you know, trying to fine tune and build a plane, which is absolutely exciting and, and comes with a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm from Romania. I'm currently living in Spain. Uh, before that, I lived in Mauritius uh, for a couple of years. And who knows what's next? <laughs> Jet set lifestyle um, around the world. Uh, you, you, you mentioned that sort of having different backgrounds, work, working in different industries and models. I'd love to dig into that at the end because I, I speak to a lot of people who have found a niche, you know, fintech or crypto or tech or finance or whatever. Um, I'd love to know the similarities and the differences uh, if I could dig into that later. Um, in terms of Labster, you mentioned you, your, your newest role is uh, CPO at, uh, at Labster. Could you tell us a little bit about Labster's business, uh, what their mission is, what, what they're up to just now? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I can I can speak days about Lobster because that was you know, like the click and how I fall in love with, with our mission and with the purpose of, of the company. So basically what we're doing, we are really working hard and every day to empower the next generation of scientists. Uh, and this means uh, we are partnering with educators, with learners, students, teachers out there in order to make sure that we build the uh, most engaging, immersive, and fun uh, STEM virtual laboratories for them. So we are supporting the science students to make sure that, and, and obviously the science teachers, to make sure that they have this pre and post lab experience, very similar with the flight uh, simulators, uh, if, if you would you know, allow the, the comparison, because what we are trying to do, we are really trying to make sure that we democratize education. And it doesn't matter if you are in Kyrgyzstan, in India, in Italy, or in uh, Boston, you have you can have the same uh, access and the same level of amazing learning space that would and will support the, the science students to solve the biggest issues of, uh, of our planet. So yeah, we are on a, on a big quest here. That's that's fascinating. I, I just so you know, I, I'm from a science background. I studied chemistry originally before I got into recruitment. A bit of a weird huh. journey there, but, <laughs> um, but I, I just found that it, looking through your website, this is not some e-learning platform. This is not somewhere where there's video tutorials that that is a supplement. This is like a metaverse immersive experience for the laboratory experience. Is that right? Absolutely, and and we are offering um, an amazing product, an amazing platform, but also a very high level quality of content. So we are working. We have uh, right now uh, almost one hundred content people in working in Lobster that are uh, and scientific creators that are day by day making sure that they are bringing top notch content info uh, partnering with high level universities worldwide so that we are not offering only a great product and an amazing tech uh, experience but also that level of content that will allow any of our uh, five million students and learners to become the next Nobel uh, winner. Um, That's fantastic and you know I, I see a lot of uh, students who struggle to pay for university or you know that is not it's just not on the agenda for them because of their socioeconomic backgrounds they they will do want to go into stem they will choose things like software development because it's accessible yeah uh, compared to physics chemistry and pure sciences um this seems to be something that breaks down a barrier 
to, to the people with, with those uh, who, who aren't able to afford that, that, that traditional um, that traditional education. Is that something that you're seeing in case studies and the use cases of, for Limestone? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, absolutely. And we are seeing a massive decrease of um, students in science uh, just because the, the interest is not there, the topics are becoming not engaging enough, mm -hmm. the access to labs is, is not there. And we can, uh, we have in our current, like we are offering uh, support for high school and for universities. Mm -hmm. And there are a, a lot of students right now that are trying out our lobster uh, simulations that are under 18. And the fact that you can play around with like you you graduated chemistry right like with all sort of substances within a free safe environment and you can just experiment uh with with uh, tools that otherwise would be extremely expensive and obviously uh would would might uh put you in a harm that free immersive uh, learning space is absolutely amazing and this is what we are receiving as a feedback from our students that's, again, it, it harkens back to the, the to how software development is exploding. You know, the, these kids, these 13, 14 year olds can spin up an IDE and, and, and learn, right? They just they have the internet, they're able to access that. I think it's wonderful that the, you, you can kind of apply the same thing to more physical sciences using these cool metaverse concepts, you know? Um, okay, and let, let's focus in on the, the actual people strategy then. So you are a software organization, highly complex use case, very difficult technical challenges, hyperscale. Uh, what, what's the journey? So you, you've come in, what, what's your problem space right now? It must be quite uh -huh. interesting. Yeah, it's a bit of everything. And we are a tech company, but we are also a scientific company and uh, like, you know, focusing heavily on the science piece. At the same time, we need to understand that we are uh, like the education and the mission is what gets us going. And this is, what you are going to, to see it very, very ingrained in the people roadmap and in our people strategy as well. So in terms of complexities and what we have to deal with, huh, well, look, um, let, let me put it this way. When I joined last year, we obviously, taking a step back, the pandemic was for us uh, uh, a catalyst, enabled us to just like um, make sure that we support teachers with this uh, either hybrid or fully remote tool while for two years the kids were not in schools and it, it gave us the opportunity to partner with a lot of instructors all over the world but we are not only offering um, this innovative solution in, in our space and our product only for pandemic so, uh, situations, obviously. So moving forward, we see a high rate of adoption. And this means for us a new chapter of growth. And the new chapter of growth came obviously with uh, the pain, the growth pains. Mm -hmm. So we hired uh, 300, around 350 people only last year. And just like only telling you that, uh, you know, uh, we can build on the fact that onboarding 350 people um, 
how to onboard, how to motivate, how to make sure that you have the new processes and you keep the momentum going, how to make sure that you keep the culture and, and the full ingrained elements that define who are we as a company while having 70% of your company, a brand new company. That in itself is probably one of the most challenges that we had to deal with. And we are still you know, on that path, obviously, because it's like, we are, we are building together, we are evolving together our culture right now. It's, it goes back to flying the plane while building the plane. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing. It, does, it is a perfect metaphor for that hyperscale environment. And um, it's, there's a huge commonality, I think, with a lot of the uh, organizations that are in that hyperscale phase where that's the main concern. You know, the, the people who are at the very top who have built this company from person one, um, very proud of a culture that they've built over a period of years. And now they're ready for this next phase, this hyperscale phase. How do you not only not diminish the culture, maintain, but even add to the culture when there's four times as many people in a few years, right? So I, I'm always interested in uh, chatting to people like yourself. What's your unique perspective on that problem? Like how, what, what that, that was the concern, that's the problem. What, what, what actual measures did you put in place to to mitigate that or to encourage the culture developing and evolving yeah and obviously it's not one size uh, fits all there are multiple answers to this question but i would like to focus on three main ones which i believe for us uh last year specifically and we are continuing this year were extremely important talent acquisition leadership and leadership development and internal communication talent acquisition because we hire with culture ads and we hire focusing on a, on quality more than anything so hire for performance is one of our pillars in in the full performance and talent management mm -hmm. and how we do that how we train our uh, hiring managers how we are making sure that you know we are raising the bar and, and we are welcoming people with very different backgrounds mm -hmm. we focused a lot on on that piece like the entry piece so talent acquisition now it's it's working absolutely great for us uh and we do not have a problem in terms of you know like how i uh, well let's see how what this year is going to bring to us but obviously you know like hiring in a tech world comes with a lot of uh, challenges let's say challenges that i think uh we managed to navigate quite nicely so talent acquisition is definitely the first piece the second one is going to be having amazing leaders uh, because role, because role modeling, uh, because uh, you know, like looking and seeing and being inspired is the first step in making sure that after that in the entire organization, uh, we just make sure we have a ripple effect of, of how our leaders behave and, and show up every day. So leadership development is definitely a key uh, a process where we put a lot of focus. The third one is internal communication, just because. It was chaos, <laughs> like, you know, chaos, well, then good chaos, controlled chaos, but still having people onboarding 20 people every week with a lot of, you know, new practices, expectations, what's happening, not everyone having the, the same level of access or understanding or experience with the digital tools that we are using. It was so important to make sure that we have, we have an amazing storytelling, that we, you know, like we understand how to put the messages out there how to take everyone in the same journey with us. It doesn't matter when they joined us, 
but to have this unified message to understand how we link uh, everything that we are putting out there, either Slack or emails or all hands or like how people are leaders are communicating in their one-to-ones. This internal communication flow and story uh, is what, you know, makes us really uh, rocking it at this point in time. I, I truly believe. Rocking it, I like it. Um, you use you mentioned leadership and right next to internal communication, and I think that's brilliant because they're so intertwined. If you're most um, hyperscale businesses, most software-driven businesses, use transformational leadership, right? That democratizing sort of experience of a, a leader giving you a vision and communicating it to get people on board, rather than sort of command and control, like whipping people from like you know the top of the sled type of type of leadership um you can't have one without the other you can't have good leaders but then unable to communicate the same vision um now i'm gonna i have a few questions in mind but i'm gonna jiggle them up a little bit because there was a few Mm -hmm. you you mentioned internal communications um i know from a previous piece of work that c did that you brought in sort of head of comms for Dixa, as I believe. Yes, Anna. Anna Dupost. Anna yes. Dupost. Um, now, we, we supported her for the Dixa, uh, for some work when she was in Dixa, and she was awesome. She, all <laughs> her slight seed slack was just exploding with how great she was. Um, she's in, entirely based, her entire role is internal comms and employer branding. Is that right? Correct, yes. And I'm just amazed that most organizations take a long time to have someone dedicated specifically to that. And it sounds like you're quite early on in your journey to to, to invest in someone like with, with that level of skill, that, that skill set. So I think it's a testament to um the, the level of uh the, the level of focus that you're putting on in, internal comms. What what does that look like then for the next 18 months? You've got your leadership, talent acquisition, internal comms. What what does the next 18 months or so look like for you and Anne and, and the rest of, of Lamster? Well, a lot of hard work, <laughs> but but articulated hard work. So we know exactly where we want to go and how we want to approach this roadmap. And mm-hmm. and we are, you know, like first of all, we agreed what would make sense for the entire organization. And second of all, we are keeping each other accountable each month, each quarter, just to make sure that does it still make sense? Is it still reasonable to have it as, as our people's strategy? Um, and I will, again, use the magic number of three just because it happens to be to have three distinctive pillars where we are concentrating in the next 12, 18 months. Uh, as a, you know, like just to take a step back, where we really put a lot of energy and our entire effort is into building this culture of, of success and lasting happiness. So those two uh, elements are extremely important for us. And what, how we are building the, the strategy around them is on making sure that first our team is fully engaged and fully happy. Uh, and for us, this means uh, well-being, this means connection and uh, that sense of uh, belonging, which let's face it, we are living in, a, in such a changing world and we have people that are working fully remote. We have people in 33 different countries on three different continents. So how, how do we manage to bring all those people together and to manage this this sense of hey this is our community we belong here we want to be here in in a in a full industry where probably each of all my colleagues receives a one 
email in their LinkedIn inbox for in every week. So yeah. how do we manage to, you know, convince them that this is worth it in terms of their time and their energy and how they see each other they, themselves here for the next years? And this that's why, you know, making sure that team happiness is top one priority. It, it it's obvious. We're doing a lot of things here. First, making sure that we met the flexibility, which for us is really important. And we understand from our people that this is something that is a deal breaker for them as well. So uh, flexibility, obviously, making sure that we foster connection. So we have, uh, we call it lobster lifestyle. And we are really keen to make sure that at least one per quarter, we connect face to face and we, we see each other. It might be you know, like, people that are geographically, but not like just to give you an example. Uh, we are planning now the people powwow. So the gathering of, of the people team in May uh, in Ireland. So quite close to you. Um, but the idea is for us to, to spend that week together, to brainstorm, to work together, to have fun and to build the trust. So going back to your question, the team happiness and this sense of belonging, it's one of the key priorities that we are working uh, tirelessly in, in the leadership team and the entire organization. The second piece is, again, leadership development. And I'm going back to this because I cannot focus enough in saying that probably, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking with, with my peers and with my colleagues, and I understand that this is uh, this is an issue, a situation, let's say, that we are all facing, and it would be absolutely amazing to see how we are, you know, coming up with common solutions, not necessarily within an organization, but maybe you know, like being able to work across organizations. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of leaders that are first-time leaders, and it's obvious because we are discussing about technology, and we are discussing about, uh, you know, like disruption and innovation. So we have so many brilliant minds that are not only have to deliver, but also have to start building effective teams out of the sudden. Mm. So how do we coach them? How do we support them? This is, uh, and how do we make sure we set, up, set them up for success? It's definitely uh, something that keeps me up <laughs> at night. And this is one of the, the key, three key priorities for us moving forward. The last one is uh, people development. Continuous learning is one of our values and it's highly ingrained in who we are. We are an edge tech company. Yeah. So we need to walk the talk and we need to make sure that our people are the first one that are embracing the growth mindset and are having you know, like a full learning agility in, in how they are perceiving and approaching their jobs. So uh, getting immersed and having, you know, ma making sure that we have the right practices and the, we set up the right context for people to learn and to innovate constantly is the third priority moving forward. Okay, uh, that, I mean, that sounds, I could probably talk for an hour on each of those points. <laughs> I wanna make sure that I'm strict with myself and cut off, but that sounds interesting. You're absolutely right. Like you, you, it's in the DNA of your business by the sound of it, that, that growth mindset. And I, I've never met um, someone who's in the hyperscale game who isn't focused personally very much and driven very much by growth and, um seeing change as an opportunity um if you didn't see change as an opportunity and you were in a disruptive company you'd, you'd pretty not enjoy your job right so I, I think that makes a lot of sense to me um it, 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 i'm interested to know how you organize that so we have effective leaders developing themselves with a growth mindset um now i've heard that a lobster is what you call a holacracy where 
decision making is, is more dis distributed. So you have lots of little almost little mini startups everywhere. Um, you know, and, and I've seen this before in product-driven environments that, that encourages innovation, but I've also seen it's a little bit like herding cats together. So how do you walk that tightrope between the innovation of this sort of holocratic environment against all pushing towards a common product vision, company vision? I love this question. <laughs> and this was probably the first question that I tackled with Michael, with our CEO and with the leadership team. And it's, it's a recurrent question, right? So like telling you that we found the answer would be a lie because we are evolving on, on this front. Mm. Uh, holacracy is an amazing concept because it's not, it's not only about how we organize ourselves in this exactly what you said, self-distributed leadership team where we are supporting people to take their own decisions. But it's all, it also comes with this mindset of full empowerment and autonomy. So basically, you know, like for anyone who uh, is not necessarily familiar with Holacracy, as I was not before joining Lobster, Holacracy is supporting, is, is actually saying that we are a network of professionals that are working together for the same purpose. As easy as that. The beauty of Holacracy moving forward is that it allows you to evolve and change and upgrade based on the chapter of the and of on the maturity level that you are at that point in time. It's like a coat that can grow or shrink with you depending on you know, like if you are going going to put on some weight or <laughs> or or getting slim. It's it's as agile and adaptable. Uh, the, Again, I think what helps us a lot is Glassfrog, which, which is a platform that is supporting us to actually visualize the roles. So if you are going to see my team, you will see that each team member from the people circle, and we call the team circles and, and not functions only for departments, uh, has specific roles attached to it. And that means those roles will come with the decision-making powers. So this means that the red tape we don't have it. We're like, you know, we are really trying to push out any level of bureaucracy and make sure that people are empowered to take their own decisions if they if this is the, the role that they have. So to own it fully. Obviously, we have check-ins, we are having brainstorming sessions, like a lot of deep dives to make sure that we are aligned. But an important piece to, to have in mind is this autonomy and decision-making capability that comes with uh, Holocaust. Now, how do you do that while with 100 people? It's very, very different on how do you do it with 400 people or plus. Yeah. And that's the, you know, <laughs> the beauty of being in, uh, in a holocratic company and also the beauty of working in people in a holocracy. Because, and I remember when I joined, uh, Michael was asking me like, what do you need? What do you need? for from me and for for the organization in order for you to like thrive and i said i want you to allow me to innovate and i had no idea at that point in time that you like to innovate in a holocracy mindset ha huh, it's double trouble it's even <laughs> difficult it's 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 you know because it comes with another layer of complexity so what we are doing right now we are trying to understand how can we embed the structure because just to give you an example uh we need we need pay wages in order to make sure that we you know, we pay in a in a fair 
and keeping in mind a clear equity uh, among the team members, right? In order to have pay ranges, we need to have some specific roles and some specific levels. And that comes with an extra structure that we are putting right now in place. So obviously our colleagues are like, hey, hold on, what are you trying to do here? Because it's really important for us to keep the holacracy. And it's it, we are evolving. Uh, bringing in structure, it does not mean we, we go against the holocratic mindset of autonomy and, and self-distributed leadership. It's just making sure that we are supporting our people with proper promotion process, with the proper compensation review and proper performance, purposeful performance that we are putting in place. But it has his pains and the beauty of growing and really trying to understand how we do things, not for the sake of the process. This is the, the great challenge that Holacracy brings for me and my team personally, just because it makes us think like, but why do we do that? Do we actually need it? Do we need to go through the traditional ways of, I don't know, like talent management, compensation management? And so we need to look at it from different perspectives and really innovate. I think that is a, a genuinely, the word innovation is used a lot in our line of business, right? It's all over the websites, but I think that is a genuinely innovative statement and way of, of, of viewing um, organizational structure. It, it really does define quite a lot of what, of, of the problem statement of these hyperscale businesses. Um, I, I've, I, the bit that I personally find very exciting when I work with these types of organizations is that we, when we're going back to the talent side, you can't just hire like th this amount of Java, this amount of this. You have to hire for attitude, for entrepreneurialism, and all of these things that don't quite fit on a CV. Uh, but you know, when you meet those people, you think, how do we define, how do we bottle up what this person has? And th those are the types of people who really thrive in those, th those kind of holistic, holocratic, whatever you'd like to call it, environments, people who can see the value of the commercial statement and then turn it have the skills to turn it into the, a technical solution so I, i'm just it's not a question i'm just stating as, as a statement of fact i super enjoy speaking to those people so when i get to work with those types of organizations um i have a great time personally <laughs> um okay and you mentioned some of the rituals that kind of like keep that uh working and that, that sort of iterating um how, what do you look for? So I, I was kind of foreshadowing my next question a little bit. What do you personally look for when it comes to hiring for people who you know are going to really thrive in that type of environment? Uh, well, there, there are a lot of, uh, like, there are several um, important principles that we guide ourselves when, whenever we are approaching talent acquisition. And obviously we have our scorecards and our values are at the center of how we make sure we bring in talents. Um, for uh, if I would you know, like just take a step back and look at all my colleagues and really look at the success stories, I think dealing with ambiguity, it's one of the most important uh, competency that we all need to have. It doesn't matter in the role, in the level, like it doesn't matter anything, like, but making sure that you are an adrenaline junkie and enjoy the fact that you have a white canvas and or we ha you have some priorities that might change or you'll say hey how are you guys doing this and we're going to say uh well until now it was like you know it was quite chaotic and you'll say okay let me try to design it and let me try to give it a, a flavor 
let's see how that goes after that. So this sort of uh, personality that is really comfortable navigating through uh, unknown and, and dealing with ambiguity and having fun while doing it. This is definitely, uh, you know, uh, something, something that would complement the success uh, of our new colleague. At the same time, we are a company, and if you would meet Michael, our CEO, you will you'll definitely see it from the first two minutes. Uh, caring is our middle name. Mm. So we, this psychological contract that we have with our colleagues, it's real. It's it's vivid. It's they keep us accountable every month when we have the all hands, and not only the feedback is flowing in all the directions, which is amazing, because this is Michael, and Michael is is one of our co-founders, and he's you know like uh, he's our CEO as well, and this emotional intelligence, this piece all around, really honestly caring, is another point that uh, we have in our scorecards, and we look at it when whenever we have new colleagues making sure that the no assholes policy stays alive no matter what. Okay. <laughs> it's always painful, isn't it? Dealing, I suppose if dealing with ambiguity is very, very hard by nature of it being ambiguous to recruit for uh, and, and to, to scrutinize you know, in an interview or any kind of traditional sense. So I suppose if, 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 if it was that easy, we probably wouldn't pay us for it. So I suppose it's a blessing in disguise we need ambiguous or people who can deal with ambiguity for us it's really important to manage the expectations correctly and honestly since the beginning right because that the moment when we are discussing for the first time that's the moment when our psychological contract starts and kicks in and and we are really making efforts not to paint the wall so whenever we are engaging in a selection uh, process you will know what to expect uh, for good or for bad but you will know that hey okay like i'm getting in i'm getting dirty on this and this i will take advantage of those projects and i will i might have some some hurdles going into those initiatives but you know up front mm -hmm. and that helps a lot in us you know mitigating and supporting you while dealing with this ambiguity i suppose that links into actually quite perfectly into the next set of questions i wanted to ask you which was around that sort of hum you, you you mentioned about humanized companies or you, your initial intro was as a human oh on my linkedin you mean <laughs> on well, my profile that I think. Works. so like what what does that look like for you today like what what is a humanized company to you and how does that how is that a benefit compared to a non non human or a more traditional organization that is maybe sees people more as that list of value statements you know on a cv for me, it's like it, obviously it might mean different things for different people. For me, uh, working in, in a humanized organization means that I can bring my my true self to work, and and I like the best momentum for me to like check if I'm still at that moment is every three weeks when we are organizing our all hands and I'm preparing, you know, like I'm preparing to speak and and to engage with with all my colleagues. And obviously, I'm nervous, but I, it, it's it's a fun excitement, and it's a fun nervous because I, you know, we are okay to bring uh, the dogs, the kids. I'm okay to say, "Hey, hey guys, I, I really don't know." So it's just a matter of being very authentic and being very honest and bringing my best self. At the same time, what what I was discussing before about the psychological contract, I think it it really fits into this humanized organization. 
because there are expectations and there are responsibilities that each of us have. And if this contract speaks with, for, you know, it has its purpose, us building the community uh, that I feel I, I belong, I have a purpose, I have a role here. And that's why, uh, that's why I, I, I hope I'm speaking in, in, on behalf of my colleagues as well, this is so fun and it's so engaging and reassurance. Uh, and we have this reassurance on the fact that we have each other's back and we are, we are having this community and, and sense of belonging. Um, I personally, I'm preaching around the fact that we do not have taboo topics in laughter. So it's like, ask me anything because that's part of me being honest and being authentic and being, making sure that I am supporting you. Uh, so going back to your question, being, you know, working and supporting and building those humanized organizations, I think are just in, uh, it's us enabling our colleagues to bring their best self to work. That's really interesting. You know, a lot of our, we have a lot of founders and people in early stage organizations listening to this podcast, just to get a view, get a little bit of a, 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 a you know, learn from people who've already been through that experience, right? And I think that would be, there's a lot of really interesting, applicable um, sort of pieces that you've mentioned there that you, know, you could take to an, an early stage organization and, you know, plant the seeds early of bringing your best selves to work, not being afraid to do that, setting up a culture that allows for that, um, which I think is fantastic. I think it's, it really is, you, you, you see those types of organizations naturally thriving and being more innovative and attrition being lower and it's so much down to care for the individual right and, and building that into a community um again i feel like every topic we bring up i could go for a whole hour so I, <laughs> uh, we are getting towards the end of our chat but i always like to kind of get a um a kind of a final thought like for me like what is your well two two things let's finish on two number one maybe a slightly more professional one okay. which is what, what's your one piece of advice to either your younger self or to a founder or to you know Michael the CEO before he hired you what would your one piece of advice be to those, that those founder CEO level people um, when it comes to building the best possible organization they can build huh that's that's an interesting question um, I need to admit that you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm discussing with more and more founders and I discover the fact that they are bringing in people, resources, people in the traditional way of human resources very early on, uh, which is amazing, uh, even from the seed level, because they are focused on how they will build the culture moving forward. It's very difficult to change the culture and to, you know, like after 100 plus uh, employees and a couple of years on the stage, it's very difficult to say, oh, we're not going to go, to go left, we're going to go right. So having this intentional effort since you know, like uh, the Series E, A, it's really, really what will make it or break it. Uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of advice to my uh, younger self, <laughs> I, I have a lot. I do not have regrets, but I would definitely have learnings. I think that uh, I would look for the chemistry with the CEO as you know the first uh, and the most important element in in me being successful and in me really shining. Uh, 
uh, and in supporting the culture and the company to the best uh, of my attributes. Because this partnership, it's fundamentally based on the click and the values alignment and making sure that you like the people uh, leader and the CEO are very much aligned in their life philosophy. So I would say that uh, this, I would look for this criteria first, let's say. <laughs> uh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I suppose, yeah, building that initial relationship and being comfortable on a psychological level that you're going to almost be friends, you know, you, you could see That's yourself getting on well and going to be easy to work with. That makes a lot of sense. And finally, just the one thing that really brings you a little bit of internal joy, like it could be inside of work, it could be outside of work, it could be something you do at work, it could be something you specifically don't do at work, but just something that just gives you an inordinately huge amount of joy. <laughs> well, uh, there are so many things, so many things. Uh, I will, <laughs> I will tell you what because I do have a personal ambition plan uh, at this point in time, and uh, I, I love writing. Uh, I use, I like, I have a blog for a couple of years, but in the in the last months, I you know, like a pandemic and unfortunately now a war. It's not necessarily the proper time to uh, just take a cup, a cup of coffee and try it. So I, I would, this brings me joy and I would love to go back to it. Uh, but what I'm actually practicing, I accept that is going for long walks with my dog. So that is my moment of my date time uh, with myself, uh, just to reflect and meditate and just get a bit in shape. That, that's definitely the highlight of, uh, of my day. <laughs> I think that's the same for every parent, isn't it? The pie charts of your life, like the me time just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then after a while, a small walk with the dog is just the best thing ever. I'm the same way. Like the walk, I walk to the shop for the podcast. Over the moon. <laughs> that's me for the day. I'm happy. Um, fantastic. Well, uh, Roxana, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I wish we could have had another couple of hours and I would have bored you to tears with more questions, but um, I really enjoyed that. I really got a lot out of it. And uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Luke, thank you. I, I, I literally do not know how time just went by. It was, <laughs> it was great and we definitely need to do this again. Thank you so much for the Absolutely. invite. Absolutely. <laughs>